We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. I'm actually going to be reading out of the NIV this morning, and I brought my CSB Bible by mistake, and so I'm going to read it from the screen for us today. But we're in Psalm 100, a psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is God's word. Father, we ask that as we look at this psalm this morning, Lord, that you would turn our hearts and our attentions to you and to who you are and to what you have done, to what you are doing, to what you will do. God, to the goodness of your work, your rescuing, saving, restoring work. And that as we do that, God, as you turn our attentions to you, God, that our hearts would be stirred, that we would be moved to worship God, both our affections and our intellect. God, both in in, uh, how we internalize it, but also how we move and act because of it. God, would your spirit be at work in your people today? Guard my mouth from speaking anything that is not of you. Speak through me, Lord. And may we all receive what you have for us today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So a little over 40 days ago, a Cessna plane went down in the Colombian jungle. It was a mom who was charting a plane to take her four kids to go visit their father. They got separated because of uh, some threats that were happening in their home. And so he, he had left because he was being threatened. And then they went to go meet up with him. And so she chartered this plane, and there were two other adults, pilots up there flying. So three adults in the front, four children in the back, and the plane crashed. And all of the adults were killed. The children, a 13-year-old girl, and then a 9-year-old, one who turned five while they are in the jungle, and another one that turned one-year-old while they are in the jungle. Survived for 40 days. The 13-year-old kept all of them alive. They ended up finally finding them. uh, And they were malnourished, and they were weak, but they were alive. And they could be restored to health. And part of the reason why they were able to stay alive was because the 13-year-old knew survival tips for the jungle because of their customs of their people. They, they taught them in a jungle filled with things that are poisonous. They taught them what you can eat and what you cannot eat. Part of their ancestral custom was to pass this on from generation to generation. And so she went into that with this knowledge 
to be able to steer her younger siblings away from certain berries they couldn't touch, uh, to, to know where to find shelter, to know how to navigate uncharted jungle territory. Like there's no civilization there. That's why it took them 40 days to find them after finding the crash plane. And so through that knowledge, being able to keep them alive, some people though have noted that actually another thing that might've helped keep their spirits alive through all that time was part of their ancestral customs of giving thanks to the land as it provided for them. So they would sing songs thanking the land that was providing them nourishment that they were living off of and providing shelter. And when they were finally found and they were brought back to safety, the entire country of Colombia celebrated and rejoiced. Because out of sorrow, out of suffering, out of loss, out of sadness, out of death, there was a celebration that some life had been saved and rescued. And so when those four children were found and they were found alive, the entire nation was rejoicing. And I share that because this psalm is kind of similar. Psalm 100, uh, I believe, is the only psalm titled like this. Last week we did Psalm 92, the only psalm titled and designated for the Sabbath. This one, I believe, is the only psalm designated specifically as a psalm of thanksgiving. And so usually you'll hear people preach it around Thanksgiving week, right? Like that makes sense. Uh, but the psalm was most likely a post-exilic psalm that was written. What that means is after God's people were able to come out of exile in Babylon, after they were able to come out of their slavery to another nation and return back home to their homeland and rebuild and become a free people somewhat and become God's people able to live in the ways that God had called them to live, though they didn't do it great, they wrote this psalm out of their suffering in Babylon, rejoicing that God had rescued them. And so the psalm is both, uh, it's both stirring of the affections, like rejoicing that, oh, we experienced suffering, but now God has rescued us, and that stirs your heart to respond. It's both out of affections and emotions, but it's also very much out of intellect and knowledge too. I want us to see something here. So I typed out the words from Psalm 100, from the NIV. And so for us to see how this works here, there's a little bit of a structure that happens. Verses one and two go together. And then this verse three, verse four, and then verse five. There's four parts right there. And it kind of does this order of like A, B, A, B, meaning that first section is similar to that third section. And the second section, very similar to the fourth section. And what we see here in this first section and in the third is a stirring of affection. It's a response of worship, right? Shout for joy. Like that's, that's kind of an emotional response, but it's also a command. Shout for joy, all God's people, all the earth. Worship with gladness. That's emotion, right? That's affection. That's a stirring of the heart. 
Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. It's this stirring of affection that leads to a response. Verses 3 and 5, though, so section 2 and 4, tell you why. They tell you where this is coming from. And what this is here is reminding us to know, right? What does it say? Know that the Lord is God. It's reminding us what you know. God's people knew who they were. They knew who God was. And they're saying, hey, this affection, this stirring of response, it comes out of what you know to be true about who God is. Why? For the Lord is good. This is what you know. Rehearse this knowledge that you've been given, that's been passed down from generation to generation. Know these things are true about God. And as you remind yourselves of these truths, your heart will be stirred. And then you will respond with worship. Does that make sense? It's movement from head, intellect, to heart, affections, to hands, actions. So there's this, this structure that happens here. And I think that's important for us to see that, that this is not just an emotional response. And it is not just an intellectual acknowledgement of who God is, but it's yes, both and. Ooh, there's some celebration going on out there. I think they're shouting for joy right now in the kids' class. That's great. I should have had you guys do that. <laughs> Missed opportunity. There's both things happening there. And it's, it's getting to the whole person, right? To the whole person. In your mind and in your heart and in your hands, remember, know who God is and what he's done for you. And because of that, you have a reason to be thankful and to rejoice. That even out of your suffering, you've seen that God has rescued you. The girl was able to survive and keep her siblings alive because of her knowing of how to navigate through the jungle, right? And then out of their suffering, an entire nation rejoiced that they had been rescued. That's what's happening here in the Psalm. Know what God has done for you, people. Rejoice that he has rescued you. Now, when you read the psalm, and when we sit here in like teachings like this, there's always, though, in the back of our minds, or maybe for some of us, it's more right at the forefront of like, really, I can't, I can't rejoice right now in this season I'm in. Or I'm really struggling to know what to be thankful for. Because our felt experience our, our felt realities in the now, our intention with what we know God has already done in the past for us. Isn't that true at times? And I know, I know, as much as this is true, I also know that there are some of us sitting in this room right now who don't feel very much like rejoicing or giving thanks even. And yet the psalm not only invites you to, it's, it's really a command to. And so I could just tell you, well, you got to do it. That's what you need to do to be a, a good Christian, right? And does that really stir a response inside of you? Probably not. 
Does it really stir the kind of joy that the psalm is talking about? Just because we're commanded to, I guess I have to, so I'm gonna put on a fake smile, pretend everything's okay. How are you doing, brother? How are you doing, sister? I'm blessed. God is good. He's good indeed. And you can take that mask off when you leave this place and loosen up the belt and let it out and go, oh, things are hard right now, right? Now, here's what I want us to see. Is this psalm, the psalmist who wrote it, and God himself are not telling you to put on a mask and pretend. That's not the kind of rejoicing we're called to. If you remember during our Advent season, we went through the four themes of Advent, right? Peace, joy, love, and hope. And we got to each one and we said, hey, it's not this counterfeit thing that our culture talks about, but here's what it really means. And do you remember what we said about joy? That joy is not momentary fleeting happiness that is based on your circumstance, but it's a deep, lasting rejoicing in what God has done, even in the midst of pain. The type of rejoicing and joy that God calls us into, that he invites us into, is not one that ignores your pain or that ignores your sorrows and suffering. In fact, it's one that is very honest with that, very real with it, and brings it before the Lord. And at the same time, not after God deals with that sorrow and suffering, not after you overcome it, not after you've moved on, because a lot of grief you don't move on from. But while you hold that, you also hold on to rejoicing. And we have the best picture of this in God's son, Jesus, who came to experience what it means to be human. Isaiah 53, pointing forward to what Jesus would be like, called him a man of sorrows because of the suffering that he would endure. And yet at the same time, that very suffering that gave him that name, man of sorrows, Hebrews 12 says that it was the joy set before him that he endured that suffering, the cross. Jesus held on to both of these things, sorrow and suffering and joy, that he was in partnership with the Father, completing their plan of bringing restoration and healing and rescue and salvation while being brutally beaten and whipped and murdered. Not one, then the other. Not once we overcome this and then I rise from the grave, then I'll have joy. No, Jesus could hold both. God is a God who can both weep with you in your suffering and also, as Zephaniah 3 says, sing over you with rejoicing. He could both lament when we turn our backs on him and we sin against him in rebellion and still sing over you with rejoicing. See, God, God isn't just a God who's about the facts. He designed our emotions too, and he feels them because we are made in his image. Those emotions are not a bad thing. Don't try to squash them and go, well, I shouldn't feel that way right now. Let me just go back to the intellect. No, no, no. be honest with them and bring them before God. He is a God who wants your whole self to come before him in honesty and in integrity and in vulnerability. And as you do, as you do, God meets you there 
He's a God who comes and sits with you in that sorrow. But he's also the God who comes and picks you up out of the muck and mire, who stands you up, who sings over you, who reminds you of his rescuing, saving work, who speaks truth to you so that you can begin to rejoice as well. God's people, when they wrote the psalm, yes, they came out of Babylon, but they were still under the Persian rule. They could hold on to the sorrow and lamenting that the temple did not look the way it used to before it got destroyed. That they still didn't have the freedom they once had. That they didn't have their own king anymore. And the rejoicing that God had rescued them out of Babylon. And in the same way, God is inviting us now as we have been on the other side of Jesus, the man of sorrows, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and then rose again, on the other side of that, we too can both hold on to the sorrow of the brokenness of this world, the things that happen in your life that don't go the way they should, and the beautiful reality that we already know the end of the story. Didn't we sing that earlier? I'm fighting a battle. Like, that's a reality. Be honest with your pain. Be honest with your struggle. I'm fighting a battle, but at the same time, I know Jesus has already won it for me. It is finished, and I know how that story ends. We will be united with him again. This is why Paul could write this command as well as a psalmist to rejoice always. And so in Philippians 4, He wrote this, verses four through six. Rejoice in the Lord always. And listen, he has to repeat this because he knows that it can be difficult in our brokenness. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now listen, I know we could read that at first and go, rejoice in always, really? Rejoice in all things? Like, really? And then when it says, like, don't worry about anything, like, are we just supposed to ignore it? But listen to what he says. He's inviting us to acknowledge it. And everything through prayer and petition. I know that's a weird word we don't use often, but when you petition something, it means you're going before someone who has the authority and you're requesting that something would be done on your behalf. He's saying, I'm acknowledging you have stuff that isn't right. You get to go to a good God. You get to go to your father and you get to bring it before him and request that he would be at work in those things too. So you can still rejoice because even in the hard things, you know that there's a good God who's in control and you can go to him. Does it mean it's gonna turn out exactly the way you want all the time? No. But does it mean that one day God will restore all things? Absolutely. And does it mean that the God who will restore all things one day will also be present with you here and now in the midst of it? Absolutely. And so you can rejoice always in all things. He writes this again later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to another group, another community. This wasn't just something the Philippians needed to hear, but the Thessalonians as well. Rejoice always. Pray constantly, right? There it is again. There's rejoicing 
and celebrating in the salvation we have because of Jesus. And there's also praying, God, this world is not right. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Would you restore all things so that it would be on earth just as it is in heaven? An acknowledgement of what's broken and yet rejoicing. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. Now listen to this. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will for my life? Right? Maybe, maybe that's the source of some of our sorrow at times. Things just didn't go as I planned. Like I'm not, I thought by the time I'd get to this age, things would be different. Like I, I thought maybe I'd have like, you know, a lot more going on. And like, I'm just trying to figure out what my place is and, and what is God's will for me? And this is it right here. It tells us plainly, God's will for you is that you would rejoice in what he's done that you would go to him in prayer for what needs to yet be done and that you would be thankful. How do you do that? By reminding yourself what you know. He's a good God and you are his and he has come to rescue you and that work will be finally and fully accomplished one day. And in the meantime, he is present with you now. You can go to him. You have a lot to be thankful for. A lot of times our conversations, right? It's like, hey, how was your week? Oh man, like, I'm tired. It was rough. Work sucks. You know, like, isn't that how a lot of our conversations go? This is experience right now of my conversations, of my end, of what I'm saying that I'm repeating to you guys right now. Like, I'm right there with you. I don't know, man. Like, it's just, it's it's been a rough week, right? We can be honest with those things. We don't need to hide them. We don't need to sweep them under a rug. But aren't there some things we can call out that we can be thankful for too? This is why every Sunday, and I actually didn't do it today, I just realized, we, we do evidences of grace. We share, like, what has God been doing in your life and in the lives of people around you? Because there's still much for us to give thanks for. And when you can't find it in that moment, you can remind yourself of what is coming. You can remind yourself of what has already been accomplished, of what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. And then catch this last part here. That's God's will for you. Like, you want to know what your will is in life? That's huge. And then he says this. These are two mic drop moments, right? Don't stifle the spirit. Think about that for a second. When we aren't rejoicing, when we aren't being honest about our requests and going to our Father in prayer, when we aren't giving thanks in everything, we're actually stifling the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. We're actually pushing away and turning our faces from the work that the Spirit of God is trying to do in our hearts. God is at work in you to help you see more clearly what it is you actually have to be thankful for, what it is you can rejoice over, the salvation of not just you, but also the rescuing of his creation, of the cosmos. And the spirit wants to do a work in us to continue to help us to grow in that knowledge, 
to see it more and more clearly each day so that we would be transformed, not just intellectually, but in our hearts and in the way that we live. And when we turn away from rejoicing and thanksgiving and being honest in prayer, we're doing what the first humans did and saying, no, God, I got this figured out. I'm gonna go soak over here on my own. I, I don't need the spirit to come and pull me into rejoicing right now. I just want to sulk. I just want to sit over here and be bitter. I want to think about all the things that went wrong in my life. And the spirit is calling you and inviting you to come and sit in his presence and remember who you are in him. Let's just read that Psalm again real quick. Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Why? Because you know that the Lord is God. He's in control over all things. And and what do we know about him? It is he who made us. There's another translation there that says, uh, where it says, and we are his. Another way of translating that, lots of manuscripts have said, it could also be translated, and we have not made ourselves. You don't belong to yourself. Who do you belong to? That's a reason to rejoice. You belong to a good God who is in control of the whole universe and you are his. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Even if not right now, you don't experience happiness. His faithfulness endures forever. Even if right now at this moment you're going through something really difficult, don't ignore that. It's real. But know that his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues for generations. I know the end of the story. Jesus has done everything necessary to reunite us with God and to make all things right. So I can rejoice in everything. Because I know in every situation, even the tough ones, God's still in control. Jesus is still at work and his spirit is here wanting to work in my life now. Don't stifle the spirit of God. If you feel anything right now with the spirit, don't push it away. Don't ignore it. And again, affections and intellect. Even if you don't feel anything, if you know anything, about who God is and his love for you. Don't push it away. Don't ignore it. The spirit is at work. Let him do his work. And may we do our part, God's will for us, to rejoice, to be honest in prayer, and to be thankful in all circumstances. Amen? Let's pray.